0: Gracious Heavenly Father, even as we open your Word and we consider what it says to us, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. (coughs) Order of the service is a little bit different because, as you can see, we'll have the sermon right up front and then later on uh, we'll have the prayers and the readings. For the rest of the service. I've entitled my uh, short uh, meditation, The Word of the Cross. Of course, this is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, where it says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. What is the word of the cross? You know, in many ways, if you stop and you think about it, Jesus' um, crucifixion was not really anything uh, special because uh, crucifixion was actually quite a normal way in which uh, people were executed. This is um, a, a movie depiction of an event that took place 73 BC, almost 100 years before Jesus went to the cross. Uh, it's along the Appian Way, and 6,000 slaves were killed because of an uprising led by a man named Spartacus. You know, they've the movie in 1960, and I think more recently, they've had some um, um, TV series also uh, based on this uh, story. Of course, they're far more dramatized than what happened. But it was a way in which the Romans executed people in the worst possible way, because it was not an instantaneous death. I think, you know... Uh, nowadays, if a country exercises the death penalty, they try and do it in as humane a way as possible, as painless as possible, and uh, something that doesn't draw out a person's death. Whereas crucifixion was something which actually meant, was meant to draw out the death of a person. You know, if, 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 if it, they're lucky, they die within a few hours, as Jesus did in some sense. But... Some people in history are recorded, take three or four days before they die, just hanging there on the cross. What is it that makes the cross of Christ different? I think most of us know and understand it to some degree, but I want to share some thoughts from it because, you know, of course, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, uh, um, both Mark and Luke have this account of him speaking in Aramaic, saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is, of course, uh, a direct quotation from Psalm 22. And, you know, as with uh, the songs of our day, um, you know, we say the first line and people automatically remember the rest of the song and they remember what's happening. When Jesus said that, he was actually pointing to this entire psalm and we're interestingly going to be using it as our response uh, through the readings for today. But when Jesus asked this question, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? You know, in, in some sense, it echoes the human experience, doesn't it? The question why is a question we ask all the time. I, Of course, you know that my father passed away a week ago, and many of you have been there and you helped out in uh, the funeral services, the wakes, and... Um, It's been quite an emotional time, but in many ways, I think, for the family also a blessed time because the Lord really moved in and each and every one of those services. But um, during that time, there was a lady who came up to me who was from one of my dad's former churches, and um, she asked me a question which I had no answer for. She asked me the question, you know, Canon Wong has served God so well, and he was such a great man of God why did he have to be afflicted with Parkinson's disease? Which ultimately, you know, slowly robbed him of his mobility and his ability to be as active and as energetic as he used to be. And of course, we know it was uh, largely as a result of the complications of advanced stage Parkinson's that he ultimately succumbed to pneumonia. Why? You know, why Parkinson's? Why and and you know I understood in a sense that question why she was asking was because she herself also had a chronic illness which ended up you know people have been praying for me um, my mother and I had an opportunity to pray for her because <laughs> she needed ministry and you know these questions echo in the human experience we often ask ourselves that question why the subtext of that question is one which Philip Yancey, some 40 years ago, he wrote a book entitled, Where Is God When It Hurts? And I thought it was a spectacular book. But, you know, he wrote that when he was a very young man. And then much later, I think 2012, he wrote a follow-up book. And the book that the title is The Question That Never Goes Away. It was after all the things he'd gone through in life when he nearly lost his own life because of a traffic accident you know <clears throat> having to deal with it and i read in uh, an, an interview where he talked about the contrast you know after 40 years having worked uh, th- uh, through this question and he uh, made the different uh, 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 he contrasted the difference between what he now understands as redeemed pain versus removed pain You know, when we ask that question, why oftentimes our hearts cry is that, Lord, remove this pain from us. Remove this sickness from us. Remove this suffering from us. This circumstance which, you know, creates such a problem for us. And, you know, as he's grown older, uh, Philip Bianci understands that, you know, as opposed to God removing our pain, very often what He does instead is He redeems our pain. And that it is in the midst of pain that the Lord refines us and shapes us and helps us become the people we are meant to be. He tells the story of Joni Erickson Tada. I think you know her story well. In A young lady, full of life, in a diving accident, broke her spinal column and was then uh, paralyzed from the neck down. And, you know, um, much, much later, she says about this, not that she would wish it on anyone, but she thanks God for the accident that put her in the position she's been. Because over the last few decades, what has happened is that she has become an advocate for disabled people, understanding their needs, and is a voice to you know try and uh, help society um, um, uh, um, make allowances for their needs and find ways to serve them that as Christ would want them served in that sense. So instead of asking the question why, Yancy points out, and I think it's true for us, we should ask the question, for what purpose? And you know, that's what uh, the Apostle Paul himself discovered when he also had a thorn in his flesh that God chose not to remove that God's word to him was, my grace is sufficient for you, even in your weakness, then you are strong. See, this question of why was actually posed to Jesus in his earthly ministry. You remember the account in uh, Luke chapter 13, verses 1 to 5. There were some Galileans who uh, were slaughtered in the temple as they were offering their sacrifices. We don't know the exact circumstances because history hasn't recorded for us, but obviously this question was put to Jesus. And Jesus' answer was not to answer why did these people die. Or He pointed to the fact that a tower in Siloam fell and people were crushed under it. He didn't try to answer the question, why did it happen to them or did they deserve it? Instead, His uh, encouragement to those who were listening was this, no, I tell you, but unless you repent... You will all likewise perish. In other words, what he was saying is that all of us need to be aware that life is finite. That we have a set amount of time here on earth. And we need to keep short accounts and we must always be ready to meet our maker because we never know when our life may be snuffed out. That we need to live a life of repentance. Otherwise, we bear the consequences. And I think also what Jesus was saying in all of that is He shattered the impression most people have of cause and effect. You know, we tend to live in this world of cause and effect. Ah, there, something happens to you, it's your fault. You did something wrong. Right? That's what happened with the man born blind, the disciples. Who sinned, Lord? Did this man sin or his parents sin? And Jesus said, neither. This is for the glory of God. You know, that life doesn't work so simply. It's not so simplistic. But instead, he introduced this uh, paradigm of the death and resurrection. That ultimately, in all things, even in the midst of death, God's glory can be revealed through resurrection. But you know, the overarching answer really to that question why is the fact that, you know, because of sin entering this world, life is broken. Jesus, uh, uh, the Apostle Paul, much later in the book of Romans, points this out. He says in Romans 5 verse 12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that is Adam, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because... All sin. When you encounter death, you encounter disease, you encounter some kind of disorder, you know, it's a clue to us that there's something desperately wrong with this world. This world is not working the way God intended it to work. And we as Christians know it's because sin entered into the world. And we live in a world that's marred by sin. That's why God needed to provide a solution. And in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3, it says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, in accordance with the Scriptures. That Jesus died for our sins, that's the primary reason why we call this day, the day we remember Jesus' death, a good day. You know, I can imagine uh, in years from now, April 8th will be a, a day that will continue to linger in my memory, as with many of us, when someone loved, uh, who is beloved passes away. And, and most of us will commemorate it in one way or another, But hardly any of us would call it a good day. (laughs) Not in the normal sense of it, because it's a day which we look back with great sadness and with grief. But yet, Jesus' death is the day in which we call it Good Friday. It's because God knew that we couldn't save ourselves, that He had to provide a solution for us. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God eternal life. And that gift came in the person of Jesus Christ. That we, as human beings, have no capacity to save ourselves. That God had to take this extreme measure to provide us a way out. Now, most of us know if the disease is severe, oftentimes the cure can be quite drastic. Right, You don't put a Handy Plus plaster on a tumour that's cancerous. Sometimes, if it gets bad enough, you know, I've known of people, uh, friends, who because of stomach cancer had to have their entire stomach removed. You know, and, and it affected their entire digestive system. And they do that because the the consequence of that disease is deadly for god to send his own son to die for us tells us how deadly the condition of sin is and how desperate our situation is and that's why in that verse and in uh, from the mouth of jesus on the cross he had to cry out my god my god why have you forsaken me it, wasn't, it was a cry of dereliction, but it wasn't a cry of uh, doubt. It was a cry which was born from the fact that, you know, Jesus who came from the Father, you, you know, He only did what the Father said to Him. He had such a close communion with Father God that the moment He became sin for us on the cross, that relationship was cut off. And it caused great uh, pain, emotional angst, upon Him that caused Him to cry out this way, that this separation was a problem for Him. The Bible tells us, For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. That's what it means as Christians when we say that Jesus died for us. You know, let me end with... this thought as we reflect on God's great love for us. This past week as uh, we said our final farewells to my dad on Tuesday and uh, went through the cremation and um, interning of his ashes at the columbarium, I had some time to rest and to reflect on the uh, week gone by. And, you know, I, I realize... You know, I, I, I know this for a fact because that's what I do, is I comfort people in their grief. And I know how grief comes in waves, and I, I realize, you know, there's always the pain of loss, no matter the fact that we know where our loved one is going. Uh, I, I, I shared with some of you how... Um, the medical social worker before we discharged him, you know, was talking to me, trying to um, um, ascertain whether the family was ready for him to pass on. And she was saying, "Oh, what did he do?" I said, "He was a pastor, you know, his previous profession." And so he's Christian. We are Christians. I'm a pastor, so I'm also Christian. The whole family's Christian. So she said, "Oh, I suppose then you all are." Uh, prepared, you know, most likely knowing where he is going. <laughs> I had to correct that. I say, it's not most likely. I know definitely where he's going. And yet, despite that fact, when we were by his bedside and we saw him breathe his last, as we went through the different days of the wakes, you know, that grief came in waves. There was pain. I... Um, conducted the service on the Monday. Some of you were there, and I elected to preach because I felt it would be good, and he would have wanted me to do that. As I was preparing the sermon, I was crying with every sentence I was writing, you know. And I was asking myself, how am I ever going to stand up and deliver this sermon? By the grace of God, people were praying for me, and they prayed for me, and I could sense the Holy Spirit upheld me. But it didn't change the fact that I struggled with grief, and continued to uh, you know, as I come to terms with, with his, his having gone on to glory. But this week, as I was uh, walking and thinking and praying, something struck me. And, you know, it's as if the Lord was saying to me, this is how I grieve for my children who are lost. This is how I grieve for people who are dead in their trespasses and sin. This is how I grieve for sons and daughters of God who continue to wallow in their sin. Because sin separates us from God. And God's love, which is infinitely more than ours, I can imagine His grief is infinitely greater than ours. And God's great love reaches out to us to call us back to Him, to rescue us from our state, which is in a desperate condition. I close with the words of a children's uh, story, uh, a Bible, which I love. This is one of my favorite children's Bibles. It's the Jesus Storybook Bible. And in it, um, you know, it tells different stories uh, from a gospel perspective. This one is about, you know, Jesus' uh, death on the cross, And um, Sally Lloyd-Jones, who writes the Bible, says this, you know, she recounts the mockers who were around the cross who were saying out loud, you know, if you were really the Son of God, why don't you save yourself? Why don't you just climb down off that cross, they said. And of course, Jesus could have done that. He stilled the storm and the waves with a single word. He could have legions of angels descend at at a wave of a hand. And yet, Jesus stayed. You see, they didn't understand. It wasn't the nails that kept Jesus there. It was love. His great love for you and for me. Somewhere in the middle of our session tonight, we have this wooden cross, and it's an opportunity for us to respond. As you can see on one side of that paper that was handed out to you, is the word sin. It looks something like this, and there's a whole list of sins on there. We're not, you know, saying you must identify with the sins necessarily, but all have sin, right? The wages of sin is death. The free God, the gift of God is eternal life. But then the the prophecy from Isaiah which we just read also reminds us that he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds, by his stripes, we are healed. I'd like us as we go through this service as the scriptures read from John's Gospel recounting uh, the passion, Jesus' path to Golgotha and His death on the cross. And as we respond using the words of Psalm 22, I'd like us to keep our hearts open to the Holy Spirit, to have an attentive ear to what God may be saying to you. ask yourself this question, God, what are you saying to me? And the follow-up question to that would be, God, what would you like me to do about it? At the appropriate moment, you know, if you want to use that paper to write down a sin that you've been struggling with, that you want to be done with once and for all, this is an opportunity to nail it to the cross of Christ, symbolically, Maybe there are other things that are going on in your life that, you know, the Lord will tell you. I'm not going to tell you what it is. I'm not going to dictate how the Lord will speak. I believe, you know, the Holy Spirit is here and He will speak clearly to each and every one of us. The question is, are we ready to listen? Are we going to be willing to trust and then obey? Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer.